Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise. To contact us, call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Now here's Joel Van Hoogen. In the book of Deuteronomy, as the Jews were moving into the promised land and confronting the inhabitants in that land, a key command that God gave them in reference to those old inhabitants was, utterly destroy them. You might flinch at such a ruthless command, but God knew that for the people of Israel to occupy that land in a holy way, there could not remain anything of the old idolatry. And so it is with us in our walk of faith. Once you come to Christ, a new man takes possession of your body, and there is no place to compromise with the sins of your past or the appetites your body still has for those sins. In the battle with sin, there must be a commitment on your part to destroy every impulse that would turn you from occupying your body for the glory of Jesus Christ alone. The battle for us is a battle against the impulses of our flesh. It's a battle against those impulses, those sinful impulses in our own flesh that are roiling about with the memory and the ghostly appetites of the old inhabitant. The way that the old man lived within this body has somehow taken root. The spore of his sin and his activity has taken root in the housing and encasement of my flesh and the way in which I think and the temperament that is within me and the impulses that rise within me trying to satisfy my sense of significance or purpose or security. And all these things are against the principles of the new man that has come and lived here to take dominion and rule over this body, this life. And it's my job to go into that battle and to go against those appetites and to go against those instincts, obeying this central command, utterly destroy, utterly destroy. The Lord Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, and most people understand that when the Lord Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he was basically teaching the principles by which the kingdom of the heart were to be regulated in our lives. One of the things that the Lord Jesus said, repeating this basic idea of utter destruction is, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. He is establishing something which is nothing should get in the way, and everything that is opposing his will and his desire and his impulse needs to be completely and utterly eradicated from your life. Sin and idolatry and self-rule are of such a nature that if you give any ground to them in your life, if you give them any room to incubate, they will come back upon you with ruthless assertions. They will seek to seize control of your bodies and your minds and your souls and to even take over dominion of the spirit of the new man that God has given you. John Owen wrote a wonderful little tract or booklet many years ago, the Puritan John Owen, which was the mortification of sin in the life of the believer. That is, putting to death sin in the life of the believer. And basically what John Owen said was, if you don't kill sin in your life, sin will kill you. Just a basic principle. Be ready to go to war. Have this mindset of utter destruction. Not only is sin a permeating influence that will, if you leave it alone and you don't put it utterly under the destructive force of God's rule in your life, it will come back and bring its destruction upon you. But God's holiness is of such a nature, 
pure and perfect in every way, and his kingdom claims are so expansive over our lives that he commands that no room be left in our lives for ground or as ground for the old patterns of sin and idolatry to be expressed within us. These things are an insult to his lordship. They are an affront to his invitation in reconciling us to come and commune with him in the beauty of holiness. First Chronicles 16.29 says this, Give to the Lord glory to his name, bring an offering, come before him, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. This is a holiness that has been provided for us through Jesus Christ. He's died for our sins. He's taken the punishment for our sins. He has in that moment put to death all of the claims of the sinful man against us. And he's put to death that sinful man as well. He's risen to new life in order that he might put within us his life and build within us a new nature and a new person that is clothed within and without with his own righteousness and with his own holiness. He's come to live in us so that he may occupy our very bodies as expressions of our reconciliation to him, as expressions of his gracious and holy presence and rule and reign within us. Now, we're to be on guard. We're to address anything, any attitude, any habit, any thought, any action that would insult this holy and good relationship that God has brought to us. We are to address any thought and any action and attitude and habit that would begin to once again insinuate themselves into our lives in ways that would reintroduce the savor and the sense and the smell and the aroma of our past idolatries. The old patterns that had stretched over our lives of self-gratification and self-determination and self-exaltation are to be done away with completely. The word is, folks, utterly destroy. Utterly destroy. Here's the second thing. There must be, obviously, in the phrase itself, this is obvious, there must be no compromise within yourself in this endeavor. I know how it is in almost everyone's life. There are always mitigating circumstances for why we do what we do. There's always for some reason as to why we fall or whatever our failings are. It can be our temperament. It can be the genetic coding that we were, honey, my family is all this way. We all struggle with being impatient at dinner time. We all get angry. We get angry when we're hungry or whatever it is. You know, there's always some mitigating circumstance that you can give for why you are the way you are. It can be the way in which you were brought up. It can be the temperament that you have. It can be the education or lack thereof that you have. It can be the influences of the culture that surrounds you that you're just wired to think a certain way. It can be your physical condition that you're going through at the time. You know, I know how it is. If you're sick for a long time, it's hard to kind of have the energy to do the right thing all the time or to think the right thing all the time. It can be just certain unique weaknesses that you're prone to because of your personality, because of the very way God made you. It can be what you know, and it can be what you don't know, and it can be what you think you know. And all those things can influence the way you behave and what you do, and they're all the mitigating circumstances on your life. For us to look at another person 
and to cast judgments upon them, we have to be careful. We have to recognize that we don't understand what are the mitigating circumstances influencing their life. We don't know what their upbringing was, and we don't know how they're seeing things and viewing things, and we don't know what they know and what they don't know and what they think they know. And So we have to be patient with them, and we have to be merciful, and we have to be compassionate with them. My father used to use a kind phrase they would set upon individuals who had behaved in such a way that they may significantly have disappointed him. And this is what my dad used to say. Maybe that is all that they're capable of at this time. Maybe that's all they're capable of at this time. I think that's kind. I think that's generous. I would invite you to have that attitude towards others. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what their issue is. Maybe that's all that they're capable at this moment. I invite you to have that attitude towards others. But, listen to me, do not have that attitude towards yourself. Do not have that attitude towards yourself. The Spirit of God who dwells in you yearns jealously. He's jealous and zealous for your complete and utter surrender and obedience to Christ in all things as Lord and Kings. And His manner of movement as the Spirit works through your life His manner of movement in your life is to bring an overthrow, a violent overthrow of this sin in your life. If you go to the book of Romans and look at chapters 5 through 7, you'll see that what Paul does is he lists before the believer the accounting of what Christ has done through saving them. And he tells them that by the Spirit of God, they have been set free from the principles of sin and death found in the bondage that they had to the old man because God has put to death the old man and bringing them into unity with Jesus Christ. But then after having assured them that they have died with Christ and that they've risen to new life as a new man with Christ, he comes to the end of this instruction in Romans chapter 8, 13 and tells them how it is there to go forward now in living that Christian life. And this is what he says. For if we live according to the flesh, we just bring death upon ourselves. But if by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, we'll live. What's the instruction there? Put to death the deeds of the body. Actually, go to Colossians chapter 3. I just put it in my notes here this morning. We'll add it and we'll see that there's even a fuller development of the idea that you might have. Or actually, it's a, a more of a condensed Expression of the idea that we find in Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. We read it in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 10. What you'll see first is that Paul establishes this wonderful truth of our salvation, this wonderful reality that the old inhabitant has been put to death of the old man, that we've been given new life in Christ. And then in verse 5, he tells us how we're to give expression to this reality. If you then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things that are above and not on things on the earth. For you are dead. That's your old man has been put to death. And your life is hid with Christ in God. You've been brought into his life. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you shall also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death in your body those things which are of the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil desires, 
covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God is coming upon the children of disobedience, in which you used to walk at some point in time when you lived in them, but now you've put off these things. Anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy communication out of your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Well, there it is. You've risen with Christ. Your old man has died in Christ. Now, in this unique position that you've gained, go out and put to death the deeds that are done in your flesh. What's the rule here again? It's utter destruction. Utterly destroy these things. Don't, don't suggest in somehow that I'll bring myself out of this slowly through considering the mitigating circumstances that cause them. So long as you look at the issues that plague your life and the sins that trouble your lives and those things that come back and insinuate you in your life from your past life when you weren't given to Christ, so long as you think and consider the mitigating reasons for the sinful conduct and patterns of your life, so long as you go about proposing careful treatment so that you don't go too hard on yourself, so that you don't somehow damage your own fragile self-esteem or psyche. So long as you determine a slow, compromising way out of your failures, there will be no advance in the holy battle of the Christian life. Thanks for joining us today at Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.